Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series, episode two, to celebrate the launch of John Tippett's A Philosopher's Take on Economics, the second edition. My name's Jonathan Brown, and just to quickly recap, in the first episode, we established why economics and philosophy are indeed connected, but that the current philosophy as economics is a miserable one. Now, in this episode, we look at some of the concepts in John's book more closely and how you can apply them in your life. We get straight in with this one, picking up pretty much where we left off. And the first question looks at why economics is truly the dismal science. Why is it that economists get things so wrong so frequently? And why does it not get fixed? Well, a few few reasons, Jonathan, although there aren't really all that many reasons. With uh, the economic setup, the the typical Western economy way of doing things, which we must never overlook, has had some enormous benefits, some enormous. I'm talking about the uh, great floods of wealth and invention and affluence and production of beautiful things and I think it's important to recognise that that traditional economics has not been crazy. It's led to a lot of a lot of good. But this what I was talking about earlier, uh, Jonathan, the 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 productivity of the community of the public sector, the 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 productivity that 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 is then not collected by the community, it eventually flows into the price of land. Now this is a very, very big point. Now what this has led to, Jonathan, is the whole business of the attractiveness of land ownership and the the fierce propensity to protect that. And that is the main reason Henry George is poo-pooed. Because if the economic rent if the productive value of the community infrastructure were to be collected by the community, which is what justice requires, do you know what would happen to the market price of land? Well, it wouldn't exist. You see, Jonathan, land is not a product. It's never been made. It has no cost of production. All man-made goods and services have costs of production. That's why they that's why they sell in the marketplace at a certain price. Part of that price is to cover the costs of production. Mm. Our land is not like that. It has no cost of production. It's a gift. We're not talking about the improvements made on the land. No, no. That's a very different matter. 
they do have a cost and the landlord needs to collect the uh, recompense for the improvements. Now, this price of land and the fact that increase in the price of land accrues to the landholder, the landlord, for no effort whatsoever on his or her part, is the basis of greed in economics, I'm afraid. Now, I'm not being hypocritical, Jonathan, because I'm personally into a bit of land ownership myself. I put a quite a significant part of my superannuation money into farming land. Uh, I didn't really, uh, well, my main motive for doing it is that our, our family still farms and I still have a deep interest in farming. But guess what's happened to the, the market value of that land, Jonathan? So <laughs> it's, it, it's unbelievable that the increase. Be careful as best you can. <laughs> Get your mind on to truthful matters or matters of justice. There's a dreadful lot of opinion around these days, Jonathan. Now, you might think, well, what a, a, a simplistic statement to come from me. But it's awful, um, Jonathan, and it's, it, it, it's damaging because a, 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 a big part of the population now thinks that their opinion is important and, and that they've got a solution and that that solution should be adopted. And these opinions, Jonathan, range from all manner of things, um, from marriage to sexuality to uh, the importance or otherwise of work to climate change, and the list goes on. And if you follow those, or some of them at least, remember I'm saying get, get your mind onto something good and truthful, that's the therapy, you'll finish up in a worse state than what, what is now. So a little bit of knowledge is powerful and extremely important. How do you verify what's, what's true and what's just? Yes. Well, first and most importantly, Jonathan, you've got your own inner being or your own inner knowledge. It, it's sometimes called intuition. In the older religious um, era, it was called conscience. So we do know certain things and if we don't know them clearly we've got a hunch a strong hunch in a certain direction mm. so for example I, I i said earlier in our talk today uh, as a young man i had a strong hunch that there was more to find out in life than what i was currently exposed to so that is number one. Number two is that there are there, there is knowledge around Jonathan. I mean, Fred Harrison is full of it. 
The world don't read him and don't listen to him, but a marvellous man. Uh, there are quite a, a number of very, very good organisations that are involved in the search for truth, and not only the search for it, but enunciating its um, practical application. Can I give you an example, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best, sorry, I'll start that sentence again. At the end of many of my talks that I've given on economics over the past 40 years, I'm keenly aware that the audience go away feeling a bit disappointed and a bit sad because there's nothing they can do to change things. Nothing. As individuals, we can't change the tax laws. We can't change the laws of the land. But what I've become more and more aware of very recently, I might add, is the importance of and the, and the practicality of applying to my very own life, and by the way, suggesting that others also have a look at this, Applying a simple statement like, do as you would be done by. Do as you would be done by. See, I think the, 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 the fundamental problem of, of economics and injustice at the moment is greed. And when I say at the moment, that's been the problem for, for eons, greed. All right, well, have a look at it in myself. Where am I greedy? But before you even do that, be very careful that you don't step back and say, oh, well, greed has to do with all those other people out there. Well, maybe it does, but start by having a look at yourself. And come back to that little statement, do as you would be done by, how many economic transactions do I personally engage in where I do not do as I would be done by? Now, we needn't go into examples here. I don't think that's the point. But to seriously look at that as applied to my own life, do as you would be done by and see what you find. See what you find. Encourage your friends, if, if, if anyone is interested in listening, uh, to do likewise. Mm. But I wouldn't, I, I'd be a bit hesitant to recommend my friends to do that. I'm going to have to look at it harder myself. Do you know, I, I, I guess it reminds me of the of the story about um, about Gandhi, um, yeah. the mother that went to um, to the great man and said, "Would you tell my son to stop eating sugar?" Um, yeah. I think he would. I think he would listen to you. And he said, "Come back in two weeks." And he yeah. came back in two weeks, and he said to the little boy, "He said, stop eating sugar." And the yeah. woman said, you know, angrily said, "Well, why didn't you tell him that two weeks ago?" He said, "Because I was still eating sugar two weeks ago." There you are. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's true. And you know, I was just thinking then as if 
is if I were to look at my interactions, our, our listeners could look at their interactions and say, how can I know that there's fairness in this exchange? Yeah. If I look at my economic transactions, how can I know that the person who made this is getting is getting a fair return? Because there's a lot of stuff that that you know, with whether it's just just bulk buying from from all the major multiples or from from Amazon. It's like, how do I know that there's fairness in this exchange? And if yeah. there isn't, then then how could I make it more fair? Um, yeah. And it, and it could be it's overwhelming for one person. So it's like, well, so get your friends involved. And I think I think that's a key thing. Is is the first thing is is if we're talking about community, is to is to engage with someone else about about these topics, right? And to talk yeah. to someone about, well, you know, like, why are we all miserable? Yes. You know, and it's like, it can't be all of us. We can't all be at fault, right? It's got no. to be. So it's, and I, I know there's something in, in it. You asked me about, um, this was my first, this is my first book. Aha. Uh-huh. Stress and Success. Um, yeah. I, I talk about um, Deming's principles, which is if that if you've got um, if ten percent of your system or people in the system have got a problem, you treat it as a as a special cause, and you give them help. But if more than ten percent have the problem, then you treat it as a as a common cause. In which case, you've got to sort the system out because the system's at fault. Yes. And so, if you've got people who are you know more of us are increasingly desperate or um, depressed or sad or disconnected, isolated. So, well, that's not an individual. The individual's experiencing it and they now have a problem with it, but it's not their it's not their fault. So the solution doesn't lie with them. It lies with changing the system and changing yeah. how we interact with each other. Yes. And, um, and I think that the, the other thing about the economic freedom is the whole thing about owning the means of production. And I think that yeah. that for me, your your chapter on that is the best reason for someone running their own business that I've ever come across. Oh. You know, and it's and it's absolutely crucial that we focus on that as a as a society and, and encourage people that success is not working for a big company. Success is is having access to and control of your own means of production and and being in, and having the power to be independent. Yes, and and feeling that you have have that power. Yeah. Now you might then, with that feeling of independence, go and work for a big employer and be very happy to do so. Great. Great. But to be working for someone and to feel totally dependent, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Something we haven't covered at all, Jonathan, you see, philosophically, and I'll be very brief on this point, um, philosophically, the business of making a living should be relatively simple. Of course you need to work. So of course you get up and go to work and you be disciplined and you don't steal and and you put in a fair day's effort and so on and so on. So it's meant to be relatively simple. If there is anything difficult about life, it's meant, it, it, it's the spiritual side where we can have a bit of a struggle And what do I mean by that? Ridding myself of some of my not-so-good habits, for example, that that don't do any public harm, but I know that they're not doing me any good. That's where the struggle can be, Mm. but not in the business of making a living. 
Can you give an example of, of that, John? I spent a lot of time, well, yes, I've got a lovely example. I've had, Jonathan, a, a, a real negative streak in my thinking, or I did have for a long, long time. It was partly due, well, I, I, I'm going to be a bit kind on myself now. <laughs> I'll say it was almost entirely due to the environment I was brought up in which was an economic struggle, farming. Yeah. Um, just a struggle. And there was never any surplus money. And Dad drove an old car and all we could say, a very old car. Um, we had enough. We had plenty of food, but money was scarce. And that was the kind of prevailing attitude right across the community that I grew up in. So I carried that with me for the better part of my whole life. It played out in my little dabbles in investing in the share market. And all I can say, Jonathan, firstly, I never invested much in it. But secondly, I've made nothing and lost a bit. And then I met Philip Anderson. Well, I met his 18.6-year uh, cycle theory. Now, by the way, I'd met Philip through the School of Philosophy quite a long time ago, and he did the economics course that the School of Philosophy put on and which I happened to be the presenter for. I'm talking about the late 80s now or early 90s. Anyhow, bless him. He's an incredible guy, Philip. Yeah. The next thing I knew of him, which was around about 2010 or 12, 20 years later, he's done all this work on the business cycle, written that marvellous book, and I suddenly got the point, through talking to him and reading his stuff, why... I had never made a cent out of the share market and for that matter why I was constantly negative. I was always thinking a depression is coming, Jonathan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. always. Well, Phillips solved that and that was thanks to meeting his knowledge. You just suddenly get it. So within that then, what is it that's, as a, as a reader, um, what benefit do I can I get from from reading some of the insights in your book? Well, I would hope <clears throat> that as, that that the reader will uh, get the point that economics need not be senseless. It need not be stupid. Proper economics um, would have an a profound effect on solving so many problems, economic and social, if it were implemented. And there's really only one main thing that would need to be implemented, and that is to, instead of collecting income tax and the other 50 or so different taxes that are collected to fund public expenditure, if the increase in the price of land 
which in technical terms is called economic rent, if the economic rent were collected, instead of taxation on incomes and so on, this would have a profound effect on our whole economy, our social structure, and so on, Jonathan. Yeah. Now, it sounds simple, and it is simple. I, I would be very well delighted if, if the reader could get even a hint that that is the case. Now, if they don't, what they would surely pick up by reading the book, I have a chapter called The Special Nature of Land and a chapter called The Special Nature of Work. Yeah. Now, if you do an economics course on, a, a, a university course on economics, that your lecturers will tell you regarding work that work is a curse or in formal economic language, academic language, they don't use the word curse. They say work is a disutility. A utility, a utility is some positive good. So if you have a cup of coffee, you you get utility from that yep. through enjoying it. Now, work is considered to be a disutility, and, and therefore the only reason people engage in it is that you pay them to do so. Now, that's a dreadful attitude, Jonathan. That's awful. Now, I'm not saying people who work should not be paid. Good heavens, no. But the, 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 the reason for going to work or the reason for working for the human being to work is not just that he gets paid for it. It's natural for the human being to want to work. Now, you may not call it work, but it's natural for the human being to want to do something. Like, when I was reading your book, I was thinking of other words for the for the listeners. So it could be something like engage, or or, or to express something, express a passion or an interest. And you, you talk about how play could actually be seen as a form of a form of work. Um, yes. And and for me, I think that one of the one of the most important probably the synonym I would how I'd have for for work as you describe it is contribution. Is that, yes. is that deep down in everybody is this desire and a need to contribute to their to what they define as their community and that they yes. can think I've made this better because of my contribution. And one of the things that I worry about about young people today is that a lot of them and, and they're growing up useless in the sense that they feel that they are not they have nothing to contribute to to their society. And so they don't they don't see the role for themselves to play. When more than any other time in history, I think we have a need for the for the passionate engagement of young people to to yes. contribute and to work in the way that you describe in your book. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, sure. a, it's a lovely chapter that. And I, do you know what? And one of the things I think my favourite chapter was chapter nine um, of economic freedom, the forgotten state. I think the the thing I've studied economics a lot, 
and there are things in there that I've not come across. And like I say about your comments about Henry George and and yeah. what he was really about, I think that's um, that yeah. stuff that even experienced um, even experienced listeners and readers from the Shepherd Walwyn group or or the whole area of economic justice, I think they'd see something new in that. Um, yes. Oh yes. And then, you know, I, I, but the, yeah, I mean, the other thing that I really love about the book, John, is just is just how clear it is, and it's so. And there's there's not there's not one equation. No. <laughs> I was well, actually going through it, thinking, where are his diagrams? <laughs> no. Well, I told you about my hatred and and severe discomfort at, at my formal studies, Jonathan, and. Part of that was because of mathematics. It was. Uh, mathematics is so intertwined now in academic economics courses, you can hardly do one without some economics. But you know, John, I think the, the thing that, that really stands out for me is, is, your, um, is your mastery of the topic. And it, and it comes through um, in the simplicity of your arguments. Good. And that's the thing that I really like about your book. And I think it's, it's, it's I'm doing a lot of reading in the, you know, to do these podcasts. Um, and your book is helping me understand other books. So I think that one of the things for me is a, is a foundational text for someone who's interested in this area. And I think if you're, if you're someone who's thinking, what the hell's wrong with this? And I know, I mean, in, in the final chapter, you talk about COVID and the effects of it and, and what it means as well and what it's showing us to be, to be true. And I think that's, it's showing us that, that, that we know there's something wrong um, yes. with our society. And, but it's like, well, people are saying, well, I don't know what it is. Because when I'm listening to people, they're not giving me the answer. And, um, yes. and I think if they don't find, they're not going to find all the answers in your book, but I'm, they're going to find better questions, um, especially ones right at the end. They're absolute dynamite. Um, and also just some of, the, you know, some of the things you talk about, which is, you know, like with the, you know, you, you talk about the four propensities, um, that are coming out of this, the experience of lockdown. I'll just want to read them for the, for the listeners. Um, the importance of simple social contact, the value of a human being having something meaningful to do, the value of ordinary diversions from the business of making a living, um, sport in particular, um, and the importance at the national level of domestic manufacturing, particularly of essential goods and services. Um, and I just think that, that with this book coming out now, there's a wonderful opportunity for people to see that we can, we can see that clearly now and that everybody's realizing that what I've been told or what I've been led to believe about society or whatever is that we need each other. We need community. And it's like the benefits of having a shop local to you. So you're looking at the, you know, the benefit of place um, and all the things that we can do as a community and the importance of local schooling and everything really local facilities and, um, and local services, just how important that is. Um, and so it's just, just some wonderful points that you make. So that's that's the, the that's it really, Jonathan. I, I think the reader can uh, get a whole new perspective on economics. Do you know? I think I think you can, John. And um, yeah, I just love the um, yeah, love the book. Big fan, mate. And it's. Um, it's really was a pleasure. And so if we can get the, if we can get hold of that paper about Henry George, I think our listeners will be interested in that. Um, yeah. Maybe even can, you know, we could hop back on a, on a call and, and, and maybe go through that if, um, if the listeners want that. But, um, but John, just um, 
really appreciate just to just to wrap this up just really appreciate your time and um is there anything you'd like to like to say to the listeners um before we close yes don't despair um things aren't permanently bad at the same time be very careful and wary wary about what you think will fix the current dreadful worldwide economic situation. Uh, attempts to do good are wonderful. And it, 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 it's a great help, an enormous help, if there be some knowledge behind what these attempts to remedy things uh, embody. So look into matters study we're not stuck in uh, in 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 just depression and poverty and and hunger and so on there's a far better alternative and keep interested John, keep interested thanks very much and i think that your vision you've got of economic freedom um and what it means i think you yes. you've given me a lot to think about with with my own work working with entrepreneurs and um, yes. and business owners so thanks so much for your time and, and thanks for writing such a great book wonderful thank you very much Jonathan thank you for your attention we really appreciate it now as I hope you now realise the book is well worth an investment so I encourage you to buy it I've read quite a few books on this topic Economic Justice Henry George Real Economics as it's sometimes known and John's book is one of the clearest and simplest um, you can really see he understands this topic so please check it out and thank you and until next time, keep reading.